dangerously, my producer has just said to me, you've got plenty of time. Now, anyone who's familiar with the programme knows that that's that's not the way I want to tee this up. But it's not Neil Channing this week, thankfully. It is Jonathan Harding from the Racing Post, and we'll start with what you describe as casino sponsorship. It's, a, it's one way of describing it. This is your column this week in the, in the Racing Post, or a sidebar in the Racing Post, where you, you got stuck into some of the race sponsorships. Yes, and I'd, I'd start by saying it's certainly not a dig at bookmakers who put a great deal into the sport through sponsorship. It's simply, given the current climate with the UK Gambling Review, which is perhaps coming to a head in, in March and this idea that bookmakers are under the spotlight, which is, a, I think Neil Channing quite rightly described it as an existential crisis for racing because it is. Uh, a limited turnover for bookmakers is going to have a huge knock-on effect to already struggling prize money. Um, but it was just felt a little bit to me like playing with fire, blurring the lines between sports betting and casino games. Within race sponsorships? Within race sponsorships specifically. um, Cross-selling is another topic, but within race sponsorships um, specifically, simply because politicians aren't going to need an excuse to lump sports betting and casino under the gambling umbrella and deal with it as one thing, which is very dangerous because everybody knows that putting money into a machine, uh, playing an online slot machine, is a different pastime to studying, putting money on horses for instance okay you can lose money at both and you can lose a lot of money at both if it's not done responsibly it's important to stress that but it just feels that a little bit of let's just take stock look around us and think is this the time to be pushing casino products on people through the sporting medium presumably to sports betters to try and attract them to that now it's not for me to say to anybody at a bookmaker what their commercial priorities should be but long term it feels like playing with fire to me to conflate those two things because it might be conflated out of their hands anyway so let's just make a clear distinction and, and not put them in race titles and just put a little more thought into into that relationship and how it might it might appear best next gold cup sponsors well at the moment the gold cup doesn't have a sponsor um and we're getting quite adjacent does the jockey club scrabble for a sponsor or does it hold its value and hold firm and say no we won't be sponsored at a lower rate? Well, I'd start by saying it's, it's a huge worry that it's coming down to the wire like this and that a race like that's not been able to necessarily attract the type of sponsor they'd want. But I think you've, you've touched on it there. It's not a case of getting any old sponsor, and I'm sure there's a great deal of scrambling going on behind the scenes to get the right type of brand to take it on. And I spoke to Nigel Payne this week, and he was, who was in involved with this uh, sponsors association and he was surprised that there wasn't a queue and I happen to agree with him um, it's a fantastic opportunity I think because of not simply sponsoring the race but you've got all the accompanying you know trophy presentation entertaining year-long promotion it seems to me like a good opportunity perhaps perhaps even for, for an Irish brand or yeah. something like that it's racing's most su- successful commercial venture the the Cheltenham festival and this is its showpiece race to what extent do you think that the idea that it's still suffering from the hangover of the 2020 festival and the COVID associations and its, it's perception as a, a super spreader, do you, what, to, what, to, what, to what extent do you think that's, a, that's a, a factor at play here? Well, we can't be naive and we can't think that it's not in the back of people's minds when they're going to sp- approach Cheltenham about sponsoring the race. But I think you can't, I don't think it ha- carries as much weight as perhaps 
it, people might think it does. I think the Gold Cup still remains a fantastic product, as does the festival. It's just the now about finding the right type of brand long term that can take it on. Obviously, the messiness with Magnus and with the Cheltenham Festival going ahead in 2020 is not helped. But I don't think, uh, for a historic race like that, I don't think it's caused sort of irretrievable uh, damage. Let's talk about um, field sizes. Now, you could put this up every week, really, field sizes, and just slice it whichever way you want. So which way do you want to slice it, Jonathan, and why? I think start by discussing the big picture here, which is that it's a vicious cycle. So prize money is poor, which is leading to, certainly on the flat, horses perhaps going out to the Middle East where it's far more lucrative this time of year, uh, certainly over the winter. But it's a vicious cycle in that if the prize money is not attracting sufficient runners, then the product, and I'm loath to call it a product, but the, the racing is not attractive enough to create betting turnover. And if there's no betting turnover, no levy, consequences for prize money. And we suddenly have this circle whereby the whole ecosystem falls down because we're not offering enticing enough opportunities the answer i'm not sure is there a case for the argument that there's too much racing personally i think that is the situation i think there is possibly too much racing particularly at those lower levels they're not able to sustain field sizes as perhaps they had historically um, for me it's less a case of sort of reallocating prize money and moving things around to get runners in at certain times of year and certain levels. It's about polishing what we have in front of us rather than simply adding more races to add more betting turnover. That's a short-term fix. Long-term, we need to make the proposition for owners, trainers, more lucrative, more enticing, more interesting, which is another thing, experientially more interesting, so that we're having healthy field sizes, we're attracting good numbers. Yeah, because we built our business model on the size of the fields. That's the thing. If you hadn't built your business model on how many runners there were in each race, mm -hmm. then it wouldn't matter so much. But that's the bed we've made for ourselves. So we now have to work out a way of, of filling those fields at whatever level you're talking. No, and that's exactly right. We've gone for perhaps a little bit of quantity over quality, which does make sense short term. Um, but for the long term health of the sport, it's, it's going to need a bit of... Um, going back to the drawing board on this one, I think. So you mentioned the Middle East, and you know we're in the season now where the Gulf states are, are, are really quite, quite dominant as regards global racing. We're uh, on the cusp of what's probably going to be the best Saudi Cup that's been run so far. If half those entries turn up, um, we're already looking at horses like Hot Rod Charlie being aimed at the Dubai World Cup. We've got the, um, the Pegasus as a potential trial for both those races in a couple of weeks in, in Florida, racing in Bahrain every week, racing Dubai Carnival. So... So what now for, for that region and its significance in, in global racing? Well, it's, it's a fascinating time um, in the Middle East. Um, and having been out there, there's a sense of they're trying to create quite cleverly, I think, a coordinated program whereby the Saudi Cup fits in with Dubai. There's not too much, OK, Qatar's slightly an outlier in, in terms of the calendar, but you're looking at Bahrain, Dubai, Saudi have got a fairly linked up program now. And I suppose the worry then is for British racing is you're going to have horses who are perhaps going out to the Middle East at the beginning of the year and just staying out there right the way through. And that, that will have a knock-on effect for whether they have early season campaigns on the turf in Britain, if they've had a particularly hard time of it out in the Middle East. It's easy to point the finger at 
the organizers out there and say, well, we're never going to be able to compete mm -hmm. with their prize money, and that's true. So the Saudi Cup, I, you know, you could reinvent the wheel in Britain, and I don't think you're going to get the, the same level of prize money. So it's about looking at what Britain can do to promote and preserve its top races um, to compete with those types of targets. And... Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one to solve anyway. I certainly think you make an interesting point as, as regards the beginning, what I would call the sort of false dawn of the British turf season, that bit between the, the Lincoln and the, and the Craven meeting, which is already a bit of a, a wasteland for flat racing, mm. and also the back end of the, the all-weather season. Because if you're putting on a big finals day at Newcastle and a decent day at Lingfield at the same time, you want enough good horses to, to give it the sort of ballast it demands. And it's concerning, obviously, at the top level, it kind of works, a Mishrif going out, doing the big races out there, coming back to Britain, doing the big races. But it's slowly filtering down through the horse population. You're seeing horses that have run on the all-weather at Lingfield for pennies, qualifying to run in Bahrain at the beginning of the year for thousands. And you can't blame trainers, but it's just kind of about British yeah. racing now having a look at itself and think, well, how can we keep those horses here? Let's talk about um, Royal Ascot, clearly still one of the great showpiece events in, in British horse racing that you know, does retain both quality and quantity for, for obvious reasons, but not necessarily quantity of people uh, this year, Jonathan, because the capacity is, has come down deliberately. It has, and it's, um, it's rare a press release about a logistical issues quite so interesting, but it does raise a few questions. I think it's, first off, I'm all for it. I think it's fantastic that... Ascot's got the confidence in itself and in that Royal Ascot appeal to look ahead and go, well, we can take we can take a sort of a bit of a gut punch here in terms of ticket sales. We can take a little bit of a loss. But we're, we're confident enough that that's going to benefit the long-term sort of sustainability and appeal of the event. So, so the first sort of thought that I had, and I know you had as well, was, oh, yeah. I'll just r ramp up the ticket prices to, to cover the shortfall. Now, you put that question, didn't you, to, to Nick Smith? I did, yeah, and, and while the ticket prices are sort of going up relative to inflation, it's not, it's certainly, I don't think it's, uh, there's no underhandedness going on here with a, a rise to compensate. I think they've just looked at the experience, which is so crucial for owners and race goers alike. They've looked at the on-track experience and thought this isn't quite the premium offering that we should be giving customers, mm -hmm. a lot of them who will be year on year on year. So they're just looking at how they can make that work long term. And it, it's nice and refreshing, actually, to see a track and a, a racing body kind of look that far in advance and, and plan for the future like that. It, it's important that they do that. Do you think this will encourage other racecourses to do something similar? Could you conceive of a time, for example, where the Cheltenham Festival turn around and say, do you know what, we're going to knock 15,000 off Gold Cup Day? 15,000 is a big number. But well, I can, not when there's 70,000 people in the, in, the, in the place, it's not. Yeah, I can see it. But it's all relative to... It's important to stress that if this has not been taken lightly. It would have all been modelled. They would have found what they believe to be a sweet spot. Should Cheltenham look at it? I think probably they will be because it's not enough to just get in thousands and thousands of people. It's about the experience as well. So they would consider it, and Goodwood might be similar. And it's customer loyalty going forward. Have you booked your... £769 a night room in the Holiday Inn Express in Cheltenham this year. <laughs> I certainly have. I'll leave that to some, uh, somebody else. <laughs> Let's um, talk entry. It's a million pounds back for the, for the Grand National and the other grade ones right up, to, right up to, to max prize money as well. Is, is a million pounds for the Grand National a good thing? I mean, I say this as a, 
as a committee member at Aintree who thinks, and I'll declare my position, I think it is a good thing, but I don't want to lead the witness. I realise mm. there's, there's debate about it. There is debate because it's great to see a big race like the Grand National restored to its former glories, as it were, with a big proper pot for a proper race, one of the big selling points of the calendar. Crowds back in. Crowds back in. Aintree's suffered badly, so get money behind its big race, its, its big selling point. I can see the argument that a million pounds is a lot of money. If it was run for £750,000, would they still get a full field? Absolutely. But my view is that British racing can't simply rely on the heritage of its big races to sell those big races. Ultimately, cash talks, and you're not going to risk a very good horse in a good race unless the money's there. That particularly so on the flat, for instance, um, with those big British races. That, that is important, perhaps more important there, because the Grand National, you've got a situation whereby if they put the prize money at £10,000, you're still going to get a field of runners who want to run in that race because of its history. But I, I, th I think it's important that the big races are supported, jumps and flat, allowing Britain to compete with over jumps, particularly Ireland, the big races in Ireland, because you'd run in the Irish Grand National if it was double the money, forget the heritage, I think. And the knock-on effect then for the rest of the pyramid is if we protect the top races, if we sell the top races, hopefully that's going to lead to investment that filters down. Also, there is clearly something iconic about the race and the fact that it is a million pounds, it seems to fit It seems to fit the, the standing and status of the race, a race that will routinely get nearly 10 million people watching. No, absolutely. And the, the knock-on effect then from betting turnover with a healthy field, good horses being attracted, is, you know, we, we know what that would lead to, more prize money. So it's, it's important that it's being supported. Now, speaking of which, the, the winter millions which take place at, at Lingfield, Friday, Sunday, either side of the, the flat day on, on Saturday, you like? I do. And I'm generally... Generally speaking, I'm supportive of anything in racing that thinks outside the box. I think there's perhaps been historically an attitude of sticking to the status quo. It's, as we sort of discussed, it can be a, it can be a lean period, potentially, or is viewed as a lean period. I might not go along with that, but it, it fits in quite neatly, I think. The flip side is, looking at races like this, Sylvia Narco, Conti at Kempton, is it going to have an impact on field sizes? Well, it evidently has, hasn't it? Yes. It's taken Dashiell Drasher, possibly, and Master Tommy Tucker mm. out of that race. Which is difficult, but I don't think that is on Lingfield to sort the problems with the rest of the pattern. If that race isn't appealing compared to what Lingfield can offer, that's a situation where you, you step back and look at the big picture of how these races interlink with each other. But any... Any initiative putting on interesting races, which is important, people are going to watch it, people are going to want to go. The trainers are, are right behind it because the timing works very nicely in terms of a prep race. Um, it, 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 all the signs suggest that it's going to be a good initiative. It's just how cosily it fits in with the rest of the calendar. That's what we're going to have to see. Yeah, so therefore, if it's been creatively constructed, and it seems to have been given the quality of the entry and the money is good, then the other race courses and the BHA almost have to say, right, OK, you've got some good ideas here. How do we make sure those good ideas stand mm. whilst not disrupting the rest of the, the pattern and taking away from it? And then you'd get the Kemptons saying, well, hang on, we were here first. We had this race. It was established. The BHA like it. And now this interloper's come and, and, and bulldozed us. 
it's an it's an interesting headache and but like I say, I, you'd rather be in a situation whereby Lingfield are backing an initiative like this and trying something different and trying to add value to the calendar and the jump season that is too sort of Cheltenham entry heavy. Um, so I'm all for it. And I like as well, if I may, just that they're putting on a dedicated area for syndicates, which I think is a nice idea going yeah. forwards for other tracks. Very good idea. And uh, the, the one thing I would say for Lingfield as a customer experience, I, I think it rates really highly. It's one place where I go semi-regularly as a, as a race goer and take my children. And it's, it's outstanding in that respect, I think. You can just sort of, you can find somewhere to sit, you can find somewhere to eat. They just get a, they get a lot right, I think. So. And a rich history of jump racing that's perhaps not fallen by the wayside, but it's sort of been put on the back burner. But it's a, it's a good jumping track. So it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. And obviously, it looks like they're going to get lucky with the weather this year, which, as has been pointed out, six times in the last 10 years, they haven't. Those were this week's Talking Points.